Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today we're going to be talking about the new Ahsoka show, which just finished up recently on Disney+. And uh, let's uh, let's get into this. We're going to jump into our medium shot now. We usually do a preamble on, oh, how did you first get to know Ahsoka the character? But if you watched our episode, was it last week or two weeks ago? I don't know. We talked a whole show about the Clone Wars. We did all that talk there. So let's just talk about how excited were you for the Ahsoka show on Disney Plus. I was pretty hyped. Uh, you know, Ahsoka is a character we both grew up watching ever since we were wee lads. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just the absolute hype surrounding it for months, I want to say. Maybe even years, to be honest, because they announced it, I think, last year. Um, it was a while. Yeah, they announced it a while ago. And I, on purpose, avoided every trailer I could because I've been either shown everything in a trailer, duped into thinking something was going to happen in the show and that it didn't, aka false advertising, or see just kind of, you know, getting spoiled away. So I was like, you know what, for this show, I'm not going to pay attention to any trailer or any fan theory, which I'm glad I did because a lot of the stuff that I think was a big shock or whatever, a big reveal uh, was given away in some of the trailers, but obviously not most of it, but that's a good time to mention. Uh, this is going to be full spoilers just so you know. Yeah. Full spoilers audience. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was very excited to see this. I was excited to see um, the new characters going into it. I was excited to see the rebels characters coming from animation to live action, how that would have, um, <laughs> how that would transition from animation to live action. I was excited to see Rosero Dawson at the helm of a show because uh, she's mostly shown up in cameos or side parts. So, yeah, overall pretty hyped. I was pretty hyped going in as well. Ahsoka was one of my favorite characters in the Clone War series. We grew up with her. We talked about all that. Uh, I was never the biggest fan of Rebels, I enjoyed it. I watched it. It's pretty good, but never resonated with me like some other people. So to see that this was effectively going to be season five of Rebels, I don't want to say that was a mixed bag for me because I did want to see the continuation of these characters. It did get me excited, but it didn't get me overly hyped. I was more excited for Ahsoka when the first trailers came out. I was definitely excited for Thrawn. Well, actually, I was excited for Thrawn before this because even going back as far as Mandalorian Season 2, they set up that Ahsoka's big thing was she's going to be looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn in who knows where. Well, wherever uh, wherever Ezra threw him in the space whales at the end of Rebels. Um, so, yeah, Thrawn is one of my all-time favorite baddies in Star Wars. Uh, I'm a big Thrawn fanboy that way. And uh, Rosario Dawson was decent as Ahsoka in The Mandalorian. and But the rumors going around about the return of Hayden Christensen got me especially through the roof. I didn't feel like he got enough as I'd like to do. That was a mess completely. I didn't feel like he got as much as I wanted him to do in the Kenobi show. He basically just showed up for a couple scenes and he had a couple voiceover lines and I guess he was in the suit. But he didn't do all that much 
so the fact that he was in here even for a couple major episodes was all I could want from it, really. I didn't know how much he was going to be in it, but I was hoping it would be more than Kenobi. So, yeah, that was our hype level going in. Let's get into our close-up and uh, talk about this thing now. So, on the whole, what did we think? It was good. <laughs> the end. <Yeah. laughs> no, yeah, I uh, I liked it. Um, I mean, again, when it first premiered, it was the two episodes, and I was... I, I wasn't overly hyped by it, but I was like, okay, pretty impressed. And the third episode was kind of, it felt like filler, but it wasn't filler. It was just kind of a fast travel um, episode or them traveling to said planet, wherever they're going. And then it really started to pick up, really started to pick up uh, over the next few episodes. And then it uh, sort of just coasted near the end, which we'll talk about. In a second, but yeah, I have thoughts yeah. on the ending. <laughs> yeah, I uh, first two episodes didn't immediately sell me. The first episode was kind of, oh, this is for people who've never seen Rebels before and they're kind of getting caught up to speed. Who's Sabine? Who's uh, Hera? Was she even in the first one? I don't remember. But it was getting you every everybody up to speed on who are these people and roughly what happened between the end of rebels and the start of this show. Cause it, I guess it was to catch up the rebels fans too, because they were Ahsoka training. Sabine was never a thing in rebels. As far as I remember, this was all something they made up for what happened in the interim. So it, it was, um, so what's actually going on here? What's the state of the galaxy right now? Where's Ahsoka at? Uh, and it turns out she's not in the best headspace right now. She's Ahsoka the gray in wardrobe and mood she's super reserved and emotionally cold classic jedi kind of thing which i'll get i'll come right out of the gate with it that was weird for me to see her so reserved and i understand i wanted to believe early on that it was going to be a, a character choice of oh no she's just like this and she's gonna grow and learn from the experience and become more emotive like the ahsoka i used to know and to a certain extent she did it did prove me wrong a little bit but i did want to see a little more life to the character i get that she's i don't know in her 50s 60s now she's older more experienced maybe 12 years have passed since even how old she was in rebels things change you you become older and wiser and more stoic but uh, she wasn't the most engaging main character, to be honest. I mean, that's fair. Um, for me, I was kind of fine with it. You know, I knew it would, <clears throat> she was a lot older than what we've seen in Clone Wars or Rebels. I mean, I think in Rebels, she was in her 20s. So to see her jump like 20 years later or whatever it is, uh, I wasn't I wasn't bothered by it. I thought... Rosario Dawson still carried this uh, prowess of just this old time Jedi who, you know, isn't like scoffing at everything that's happening or being a dick to everybody. She's just this she was just playing this old wiser Jedi who is more reserved now because so much of what she's been through was 
is gone. I mean, every, like every person she knows back in the day is gone. So that tends to do something to a person over the years. Um, so yeah, I just saw her as being more reserved. And for the idiots who are complaining, like, why is Ahsoka, why is she crossing her arms so much? Have never seen a single fucking episode of Clone Wars or Rebels. They're idiots complaining because it's Rosario Dawson and it's not Ashley or some other actress. That's the only reason they're complaining about it. Uh, but yeah, I thought, you know, her take on Ahsoka was fine for what it was. If it was, if Rosario Dawson was playing the same age that she was cast, that she was in Clone Wars, I would have been like, this is completely different and wrong, but it's a different age. It's, uh, it's a different time in her life. You're going to change over time. Agreed. I wouldn't have wanted to see her be the exact same as uh as she was when she was a teenager or whenever the clone war started right because then you're not I adding think a, to the character yeah yeah i just think there's a bit of irony in the fact that she became as stoic and more of a traditional jedi like the people she left decades ago the young ahsoka probably never wanted the old ahsoka to end up this way she's just like the people she turned her back to decades ago now that's just kind of funny to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I never really, it's funny the, the way you thought she was, but, uh, cause for me, I thought she was just more so of like a rogue Jedi. Like she still has these beliefs and all that. And that is technically what her title is, but she, she doesn't really push him onto others because she knows the damage that the council did to her and that the, how they were corrupted and how much, you know, she's been through a lot. I mean, in the Clone Wars, there's some planets that saw the Republic as, you know, terrorists or, um, <clears throat> excuse me, or colonizers because she, I mean, growing up, she was like, oh, we're just liberating them. But no, there's some like separatist planets that are like, we're fine. We're fine here. We don't want to join your Republic. And that's in one of the episodes where he, uh, she meets Lux, and there's that little meet cute thing as well. Um, but yeah, you know she she's been. I've lost my train of thought. But yeah, she's she's been through quite she's a bit of stuff. stuff. Yeah, she's been through quite a lot, and um, you see her ideals poking through, and her trying to teach Sabine that, but also not teaching her everything because she doesn't want to fully, you know in her eyes, probably fuck up Sabine's life. I mean, that's why she didn't want to train Grogu. I mean, there's that whole reason too, I believe, where um, he's like, oh, I can't teach him because I'm not a Jedi. I don't believe in the teachings that they taught me anymore, even though I use them on a daily basis. But hey, that's Ahsoka. You know, I think her arc in this show is a more acceptable version of Luke Skywalker's arc in The Last Jedi to me. This is what I wanted out of that arc in that movie, because in Last Jedi, we're only ever told why Luke Skywalker abandoned the ways of the Jedi. He tried it, he failed, but it was all off screen. Ahsoka, this version of the character, we know what she's been through. We know how the Jedi way screwed her over and why she turned her back to them. And why she kind of went her own way and decided to help people on her own terms. So the fact that we're in a post-Empire world and she has somebody who wants to be trained 
under her. She didn't want to train Grogu and she kind of turned her back on Sabine too because she doesn't really, she doesn't want to repeat the mistakes of the Jedi's past or her past either. She knows how Anakin trained her and how, because Darth Vader basically trained her, well, what's that going to look like if I pass that knowledge on to somebody else? Am I going to create the next Vader by accident? Because I don't really know how to temper that. I Do I have that potential in me as well? Because I was trained by this guy. And she does. And she was a child. <laughs> yeah, and she was a child soldier as well, which that one episode showed great. It's crazy how just seeing it in live action puts it in a different context. Seeing Ariana Greenblatt's version of it makes it more real that they sent a 14-year-old to the front lines and another teenager to train her. She's been she's been through so much in her life, most directly tied to what the Jedi did to her childhood, that I completely understand her not really wanting to carry that forward at all because of who her master was, where and how she grew up. So this arc to me is basically her coming to terms with that past and deciding, okay, I'm going to take the good parts of that past, whatever they taught me and I'll try to do right by Sabine, try to do right by the galaxy and well, like she's always done, go her own way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that one episode we'll talk about it in a second, but just seeing how young she actually was it during those wars was a real mind fuck to me when I first watched it. Because when you're watching animation just how your brain works, you think people who are in animated movies are much older than they are. I mean, there's like that whole thing with the Disney princesses where you're like, oh, they're all 18, 17. No, some of them are like 14 to 12 or yeah, it's it's nuts. And I think also Ashley, <laughs> Ashley, the voice actress for Ahsoka since the beginning, she just has this maturity to her. And, and the way she speaks for Ahsoka, which makes me believe Ahsoka's not mature, but the way she speaks <laughs> at the very beginning of um, her show or her um, her in the show, it just makes her sound older to me. So when seeing the lie, like seeing young Ahsoka in live action murdering people, you're like, fuck, maybe the separatists were right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty real. In that scenario, um, I had a train of thought and I lost it now. Fantastic. But yeah, so seeing the, the child soldier was really intense. And I loved seeing the live action Clone Wars. Because once so again, it good. just puts the whole thing into a different perspective. I know a lot of people kind of balked at the reality of the clone trooper armor. Which is kind of funny. I don't understand that. Like, they're like, oh, it looks too clunky or it looks weird. It's like, I'm sorry. Do you go to like Comic Cons and other cons and expos and you see someone in a full clone trooper outfit and you're like, oh, your outfit looks clunky? No, you're just complaining to complain. I don't understand. It only looks weird to you because the first time in any visual media we've seen live action clone troopers because guess what in the prequels they were fucking cgi because it was a great way to cut down the costs or whatever like stop complaining that's 
that's the funniest part about it to me is that usually when we're talking about Uncanny Valley, we're talking about fake things trying to look real. And this is the first time I think I've ever seen people complain about a real thing that's off-putting because it's trying to emulate a fake thing. So weird. Yeah, it's I I don't understand the complaint. I I really don't. I just I I bet it's people who really aren't that big of fans of Clone Wars or the prequels to be honest. I just I just don't I don't understand it. So they made something CGI practical and you're complaining about it because it looks off. How does it look off? Oh, it looks clunky. Yeah, it's fucking armor. It's not the most comfortable thing in the world, pal. Yeah, I don't necessarily see it as... I mean, I'm sure some people are really complaining, but I think most people are just, oh, that's that's a little weird. That's not what I'm used to that looking like. I don't think people are really bitching about this. Well, I'm, sh- I'm sure they're out there, but... And I agree with you completely if you're actually that upset about this, but if you're just a little off-put by it, I, I was. I'm like, oh, this is strange. <laughs> I'm not used to looking like that. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm more so talking about that subgenre of Star Wars fans that just complain about everything that's not the original trilogy. Yeah, kind of like us, but we we just we're the subset who doesn't com- who complains about everything that's not the original trilogy, the prequels, or the Clone Wars. Yep, we're just the generation that added a few more things to the list. <laughs> so let's talk about. Hayden Christensen in this now and t- while we're talking about uh, the Clone Wars flashbacks. Well, first off, I think he looked fantastic in the Matt Lanter era suit. Yeah. Suits him very well. It's it's crazy that whenever, when Kenobi was happening last year, everybody was like, oh, let's get some Clone Wars flashbacks. And people made, you know, little mock-up concept arps of him in the Matt Lanter armor. And to actually see him in it, my brain melted because it's like, this is what I've wanted. I mean, I've seen Hayden Christensen in Clone Wars armor in Battlefront 2, but to actually see it in real life blew my freaking mind. And it was, it was just great to see. What would have destroyed me is if Ewan McGregor, right? <laughs> if he, am I getting the name right? <laughs> my brain's not working today for some reason. <laughs> If, yeah, Ewan McGregor. If he showed up in his Clone Wars armor f- for the first time, just full on out, that would have destroyed me because that's m- one of my favorite Obi-Wan Kenobi outfits. Uh, but he looks great. His performance was amazing. I will go on record and saying this is his best Anakin performance in this show where it's more refined. It's not as... I do like the prequels. I will say there are some directing choices in Hayden's performance that are off. He's a great actor. A lot of people complain about some of his line delivery, but to me, that was more of a directing choice. But here, he pulls it off, and you can tell he studied his butt off with the Clone Wars Matt Lanter performance and just with Ahsoka because um, his chemistry with Rosario, I mean, they took an acting class together somewhat 20 years ago and so they have that familiarity with each other but their chemistry just as ahsoka and anakin is so well done and the deep fake doesn't look that bad either or not deep fake de-aging i thought the de-aging looked a little weird in the episode four when he first showed up that one was but off. it looked fantastic <laughs> but it looked fantastic for the rest of the show basically he 
Look, the problem with Hayden Christensen, like you said, it was directing choices that kind of messed him up on the prequels, or should I say lack of choices. George knew what he wanted in terms of body language and in terms of the story, and I think he was totally fine with Hayden's general portrayal of it. But George has always been known as not an actor's director, not great at directing line delivery and the like. So I believe I've heard that most of the actors on the prequels felt a little directionless when it came to not their character motivations and their arcs and why are you being this way at this point in the story, but just, well, why am I saying these things right now and how do you want me to deliver that? But I think Hayden has, like you said, he did a lot of research, I think, in, in The Clone Wars. He watched all of it and really absorbed Matt Lanter's performance. I heard it said somewhere, and I think it's an interesting take, that Hayden Christensen in Ahsoka is doing an impression of Matt Lanter's impression of him, which is kind of bringing it back full circle. Because Matt Lanter That's was taking Hayden funny. Christensen as... That's pretty good. Yeah, he was taking Hayden Christensen's performance as a base, and then he added to it. Now Hayden Christensen is taking his original performance plus Matt Lanter and adding himself back into it to basically create, in my opinion, the best version of Anakin we've ever seen live action. He really brought the whole thing together, and he came back after, I guess, what, 18 years now, and he's the best he's ever been in the role. It's incredible. Yeah, he he knocked it out of the park. I mean, him being the overall, we're getting spoilers, him being the overall, just he is the chosen one now. He is the balance. uh, He's bringing balance to the force and especially with Ahsoka. And that whole episode, to me, was awesome just because of how it was written. Not because of the flashbacks, but just how, how Anakin is... both literally and figuratively teaching Ahsoka, you can either live in this world that we've all created, or you just die and just accept. There's two ways of accepting what's happened. You can die or you can, you can live. And, um, everybody, (laughs) everybody's trying to be like, no, there's gotta be more to the lesson, right? There's gotta be way more. He's got, he's gotta have like 15 layers of different learns of this. No, it's Anakin. It's, it's, he's pretty, he's pretty literal. He's a literal teacher. But the other aspect of that lesson, I think, is it's also a metaphorical living or dying. Yeah, because, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, Ahsoka is physically dying right now. She's drowning. She's not doing so hot. And he's saying, hey, fight, fight for your life. Get back to the galaxy. Do some good. But he's also saying the way she's been living her life basically ever since Rebels or even arguably since the Clone Wars ended, um, hasn't really been befitting of a life. She's just this wandering nomad without a real driving purpose. She knows her morality, says, well, I kind of want to help, but I also want to be a pacifist. She's so wishy-washy about what she's really trying to do and how she wants to do it that she's just miserable and wallowing in the past and her self-pity and Anakin's like hey snap out of it (laughs) do you want to defeat Thrawn or not and if you do want to defeat him you're gonna have to fight how do you feel about that I'm forcing you into this 
it's like you, you can't just say you want to combat this threat and then sit on the sidelines and talk about morality. Like you, you got to do it or die, do it or not. And he, he's just kind of pushing that out of her. Yeah, so she, it is a, it's, it's live in a, like, are you actually going to get out there and participate in the galaxy or die in the metaphorical sense of just kind of living on this wishy-washy line and not really accomplishing anything noteworthy? Yeah, she wasn't really living her life before Anakin showed up. And I like the ways, I like the way he he taught her because, you know, he Anakin is a very... I mean, going back to Clone Wars, is very hands-on person, very visual learner, and their fight scene is so well choreographed. I love it. It's not jump cutty that much, um, and the way Hayden fights. I mean, Rosario gets should get some credit as well, but just seeing Hayden do his, you know, his move that he came up with in you know since Episode Three, the behind the back spin, and you know their little banter back and forth. Where it's like, I'm not going to fight you. Huh? I've heard that before. And then uh, Ahsoka being like, oh, looks like you're kind of slow. And then he does, Hayden has like a little smile on his face. Like, I haven't taught you everything. Basically does an Anakin thing and cheats. Breaks the only like fighting feel that they have so they can go into a flashback. But it's great. And then seeing the fully, what a fully realized Darth Vader could be out of the suit. Uh, I think. Terrifying. It's insane, insanely terrifying how powerful he is. I mean, with the one swing, he broke Ahsoka's guard. I mean, he, she is a child, but she's a very good duelist. She's one of the best out there. Um, just amount of strength and anger Anakin had or would have had and seeing that fully realized was awesome. And then that one shot, that beautiful shot of Anakin walking away with all the clone troopers, and then it's beautifully seamlessly lines up it just cuts to now it's Darth Vader then it's back to Anakin just I don't know how they did it I don't know how Dave Filoni did it in the editing room but he did it flawlessly one of the best shots to come out of modern Star Wars I love the symbolism behind that shot of they're running off to war and Ahsoka is looking a little shell-shocked and she doesn't want to follow him and he runs off into the heat of battle it's it's he likes it is the thing about anakin he's a jedi and he talks about peace he says well when i was a padawan we were keepers of the peace and you need to be a soldier but he's not lamenting peacetime this is totally him and his element vader that match cut there shows that vader was always there even if he wasn't physically Darth Vader yet. He didn't have the scars and, and the costume yet, but the spirit of Vader was always within him on the battlefield. That brutality, the cunning, the, the, just the lust for battle and bloodshed that was always a part of Anakin. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about Anakin Skywalker in this afterlife is that even though he was redeemed at the end of Return of the Jedi, the darkness didn't go away. It's still... the He's the chosen one now, because even in the afterlife, he maintains that balance. He's 
the good guy, the hero, Anakin Skywalker, but he's also got equal potential for Darth Vader. But now in this afterlife, he can control it. He uses which side of him whenever he needs to use it. He when he when Ahsoka needs reassurance, he goes to her as Anakin Skywalker with a with a bit of friendly jabs. When she basically alludes to him being Vader, oh, is that what this is about? But when she needs tough love, Vader comes out and beats the answer in her. So I see that theory uh, about what Anakin's really doing in the world between worlds there, and I and I really enjoy that. It's basically people think that with the father dead from the Mortis arc in the Clone Wars, with the father dead, the son who knows where, and the daughter dead as well, that Anakin has taken over the father's place in the world between worlds. And people think that when Ahsoka dies, she's going to take the daughter's place because of what he said to her when she got there. Oh, you're, uh, didn't expect to see you so soon. Implying that he did expect to see her here eventually. And I guess she gets there when she dies. So, and who's the son? Who knows? Maybe Balin, but Balin looked like the father Ooh, at yeah. the end. Who if he's knows? reincarnated. Huh? Everybody thought it was going to be Ezra. People think it's going to be somebody else. So maybe it's still Anakin. Who knows? You know, it's we'll we'll find out in probably Dave Filoni's movie. <laughs> Man, that'd be so much to accomplish for the movie. You got to explain the world between worlds. Who's the new father, son, and daughter? Grand Admiral Thrawn's return. What the hell's going on? Fuck him. I don't care. Mandalorian, <laughs> Din Djarin and all the Mandalorians. Hey, everybody. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what, I think that's what the theory is and what Dave Filoni's movie is going to be. It's the culmination of all the shows and Disney Plus all working together. Or it's going to be, instead, one of the theories is instead of a season two for Ahsoka, they're going to deal with the um, Thrawn, you know, being where he is in that movie and then have it on this big grand scale, which would be very interesting. But, you know, casual Star Wars fans are going to be like, what the fuck is going on? And that's fine. That's to me is both Dave Filoni and Disney taking a risk and saying, okay, we're going to make a movie for a loyal fan base and it's probably going to do well. We'll find out. That's my theory. I think it'll do well. Casual Star Wars fans are already thinking what the hell is going on. To me, I think the thing that really messed everybody up was in Book of Boba Fett when Din Djarin gets Grogu back. And that happened on a different show. So if you didn't catch that yeah. show and you jump into Mandalorian Season 3, we're already messed up. Next show is going to be Grand Admiral Thrawn's return. And if you didn't watch Ahsoka, oops, this guy's just back now. You don't know who he is, but... He came back on another show. So the way I have to watch these Star Wars shows on Disney Plus, just for my own sanity, is to say they're all just one show with different names every season. Mandalorian seasons one and two, then Book of Boba Fett, then Mando season three, then Ahsoka, then whatever's next. It's all just because the timeline is continuous. The timeline is consistent. Characters are recurring and bounce back and forth. Ahsoka started her journey on The Mandalorian Season 2. We're seeing the follow-up with that now. Uh, Paul Sung-Young Lee's character, the the pilot, Carson, uh, he's always showing up in everything. We've seen 
just different characters pop pop up like Boba Fett went from Mando to his own show. I don't see them as spin-offs anymore. They're just different seasons of the New Republic era TV show. And that's the only way they all make sense to me. And they'll all culminate in the movie. Like you can't see these as different shows or they won't make any sense whatsoever. I'd be so much harsher right, on this yeah. Ahsoka show if I had to judge it just as a standalone season of a TV show. I can't do that. It's basically season five of the Mandoverse. Right. It's kind of like the CW Arrowverse, but less so because they actually have their own like little arcs. <laughs> yeah, those were at least individual shows that only crossed over once a year for event stories. These Mandalorian era shows don't really make a whole lot of sense unless you've seen them all. And because they basically release once a year anyway, I just, like I said, Ahsoka is basically just Mandalorian season five or Mandalorian New Republic era season five. You have to see them all for it all to make sense. I guess. Yeah, that makes. Yeah, I was trying to figure out like where you were going with it. And then afterwards, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. But oh, well, you know, I, I, I'd be totally fine if. Dave Filoni either did the culmination of everything on a show or a movie. Either or for me is fine because I have watched it. And for for the people complaining like, oh, I, this isn't going to make sense to me. Sorry. It's probably the same people complain about, you know, when the M- or Infinity War happened or Endgame. Um, some of them might have been my relatives. But, you know, other than that, if you wanted to see it, still go see it. I mean, it's Star Wars. It's Star Wars on the big screen. Who doesn't want to see Star Wars on the big screen? Um it's still a fun time. You're going to have fun watching it. Yeah. I, I just don't know. I feel like star Wars is losing people. A lot of people haven't turned up for the star Wars movies in a long time. Ever since rogue one, they've had diminishing returns pretty well. Um, it's, and not everyone's watching the TV shows the hardcore Star Wars fans watch them, but I think casuals don't really care anymore. So maybe they'll be brought back by, ooh, a new Star Wars movie that's paying off by that point, maybe six or seven seasons of TV that they haven't watched. And maybe it'll still be satisfying. I don't know. But it's like I'm saying, though, you can't... To me, Ahsoka does not stand alone whatsoever. If you haven't seen seven seasons of The Clone Wars or five or four seasons of Rebels... You don't know who this person is. Right. And I don't think the show does a good job of explaining who she is. I don't think the show matters. needs to explain. That's my personal opinion. I mean, this show is created by one of the biggest fans of Star Wars for the biggest fans of Star Wars. I'm sorry to the casuals. Here's my hot take. If you're going to complain about a show that's talking about a character that was made over seven years ago and you slept on that show, sorry. Sorry you slept on it. So now you're mad that someone cared so much about a character that was made gener- like decades ago and is now giving them the limelight in their own show. But since you don't know the character and you don't understand what's going on, that Im- immediately makes it bad or unwatchable. doesn't make it bad or unwatchable. It's just the fact that you don't know the history of it Sorry, you know, it's, 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 but it's a bittersweet she, but she thing. premiered on it. 
but she premiered on a cartoon and cartoons are for kids and I'm not a kid and I don't watch cartoons and I don't want to watch cartoons. <laughs> I hit Ryan's trigger. Yeah, people who complain about car- cartoons and say they're only for children have not watched Clone Wars because <laughs> there's so much murder going on in that show. But yeah, I just... Oh, it's, lots. Yeah. And uh, when you bring, you bring up a good point that it's diminishing returns during the movies, but... I think because the last two that came out was Solo, Solo was first, and then it was episode nine. And by... Correct. Yeah. And by Last Jedi, Last Jedi made a buttload of money, but that was so controversial that people were losing hope. And also, <laughs> ironic, isn't it? And then um, when Solo came out, I don't think people, nobody really wanted to see a young Han Solo movie where Harrison Ford wasn't in it. Um, and then episode nine happened where I think it was just so bad of mouth that like word of mouth got so bad about it that nobody went to see it or a lot of people didn't go to see it besides the like people who wanted to know how the trilogy ended. And then, yeah, there was that period of like a year or two where people were like, Oh, star Wars is in such a bad, bad spot right now. And then season one of Mandalorian happened. So I think it's been, enough time in terms of the movies where people are like, man, we, we need to see another one or else Hollywood is dead. That's what the producer is going to say. But, um, I mean, that's, that's the way I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. They shot themselves in the foot trying to do one movie a year for that span of time. It has been at least four years since the last star Wars movie will probably be more by the time the Mandalorian movie comes out. So, it might find some success. I hope it does for its sake. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker uh, just made over a billion dollars, which compared which to the other Star ones Wars is movie is pretty less, but it's still technically success. Keep but, in um, mind, Force Awakens made over two billion dollars when it first yeah. came out. So just in a span of four years, your the third movie in the trilogy made a billion less. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker beat the domestic box office record, and it is the it was the fourth or third highest grossing movie of all time at its peak. So, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, what else can we talk about on the show? Uh, who else? Who else? Well, well, Sabine, I guess, is the other main character here. Uh, I didn't like her in this show. Yeah, I'm just gonna say. I she was kind of annoying and. Like you said, I, you weren't the biggest fan of Rebels. I was an avid Rebels kind of hater because just for stupid studio reasons, right? Because Clone Wars was so great. And then when Disney acquired Clone Wars, they canceled Clone Wars and try to bring it back and be heroes about it. It's like, no, you canceled the thing you murdered, you sons of bitches. And then Rebels was way more kid friendly. It was like put on Disney XD. It was tailored so much more to younger audience than Clone Wars was that it got Disney-fied and so and but those characters in that in the show are likable Sabine in this show not really she's not that likable Sabine makes all the worst decisions you can possibly make well okay I I heard so many times she doesn't wear her helmet irks me so much and that's just because she probably heard the note or a director heard the note of oh the Mandalorian can't really watch that so much because how can you emote through a helmet but she's a fucking mandalorian 
she would never just leave her helmet in the forest or like leave her helmet off in battle. That's the one thing I liked about her in the finale is that she wore it most of the time. But the fact that she barely puts it on is a weird choice. And it just it's a small nitpick, but it's also like, ah, what are you doing? I feel like the helmet. I feel like the helmet came and went in the show. Like she didn't have it and then she ran somewhere else and then she suddenly had it again, but she still wasn't wearing it. Yeah. Like, oh, where did you leave? Where did you leave that thing? Where do you hide that? Do you have a portal? Do you have a bag of holding? What's going on? She might. <laughs> Everybody's got a bag of holding in Star Wars. But yeah, it was just. I, suppose and so. I don't know how I feel about her being force sensitive. Because I'm not a big Sabine fan. I liked her arc in Rebels with the whole Mandalorians and the Darksaber and all that. But just like, you could have just kept her not being force sensitive. That would that would have been more interesting. That would have been way more interesting. And just like watching the finale and seeing her use the force, I was like, <sighs> like, I was just like, okay, it's to me, it was the easy choice. And then all of a sudden her just being a prodigy at it, like throwing Ezra to to the starter story. I was like, really? Too much, too fast. Yeah, it was too much, too fast. But hey, if if that's what I, Dave wants, whatever. I don't mind in principle the idea that she can tap into the force. I love that scene at the start of episode three where Ahsoka was trying to teach her sensory perception, put the helmet on. Where is the attack coming from? Just feel it coming. Don't you rely on your sight. You know, the classic Luke Skywalker lesson, but for a Mandalorian, I thought that scene was amazing uh, just for the for the life lesson there. But it's but by the end, when she's like you said, full on force pushing Ezra and just seems to have gotten it down real quick. I liked it earlier on in the show when Hu Yang said, I've trained basically every Jedi for the past 25,000 years, and you've got the worst aptitude of them all. <laughs> You're by far the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's more interesting to me. I don't care that she uses the Force, but if, if you are going to use the Force, I prefer her to be the underdog. Like, yeah, it's a weapon in my arsenal, but I suck at it, and I'm probably not going to pull it out much because I can't do much, but... I, I like the idea of somebody in the canon who has the potential to use the Force, but isn't that good at it. Actually, I guess the next best comparison would be Princess Leia. I Leia was just about to bring that canon, up. Yeah, Leia in canon has never been, oh, I'm going to full-on fight with the Force and do crazy things, but she was like, oh, well, as we're leaving Bespin, I can sense Luke's in trouble. I can feel things i remember my mother even though i wasn't really old enough to know her i've got she has some kind of sensory abilities but she never she can't use it like a weapon or tap into it really it just kind of she can float in space she can that was a choice she learned that (laughs) but even that i didn't necessarily mind i didn't care about that as much as other people but it still feels relatively light compared to sabine who goes from zero to I guess 50. I'm not, I'm not saying she goes to 100 real fast, but she she took a really big leap really fast. And I, I didn't want to see her do that kind of force power. I'd have preferred she'd be more like Leia, where she kind of has... She's force-sensitive, but not force-powerful. Not yeah. immediately. 
Yeah, I didn't I didn't like that decision personally. Just because of it would have been way more interesting if she went the Princess Leia route. Um Yeah, I don't know. Some of the transitions from besides Rosario Dawson, from uh for me personally, I think the because I was watching some Rebels uh episodes leading up to Ahsoka and then throughout just to get myself familiar with with the characters. And um I don't know how I feel about Sabine and Hera's performances. I feel like they're so laid back. I feel better about Mary Elizabeth Winstead's performance than I do about Natasha Lou Bordizo as Sabine. The way I see Hera to me is Hera always was the real rebel. You know, she was the maverick pilot kind of out there on the front lines, but she always had to be more of the leader. And it was one thing in Rebels when they were just a small cell of um, of Rebels that was doing their thing against the Empire. But then when she actually had to be a full-on general and fight for the rest of the Galactic Civil War, and then this is another six years after the Empire fell, she's a general now in a the infrastructure is still barely hanging on. Like you see early on, there's still a lot of Imperial sympathizers. It's a tenuous time and she's in a position of power with this fledgling government that's just barely trying to keep order here. So I understood Hera being a little more reserved because, all right, she she's a mother now. She's a general in this new status quo. She's got a lot of responsibilities, so she can't be the carefree maverick she used to be. She's got to be a little more stoic because people look up to her and they need somebody who's more confident, less carefree. So I understood the responsibility probably forced her to be a little more reserved. Although you do see it peek out a little bit. Hera is somebody who can kill with a look. I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead's subtleties, how just with a smirk or with a flash of her eyes, you can see there's more emotion behind Hera that, uh, you can tell there's a lot going on behind her brain. She plays the subtext very well. Um, Natasha Lubordizo, I didn't really care for her version of Sabine. It was just... It was too sassy. I don't know. I, didn't, I don't know what it is. It was sassy, and I just and I didn't feel like... I just didn't feel like there was much there. She was reserved, too, but I didn't see any reason for Sabine to be that reserved. She was just kind of whiny, to be honest. It's, yeah, it was, it was uh, weird. And... It was weird. I don't think she, she just acted very, poorly, but I just think the decision she made for an already established character was off. I don't really know how I feel about her acting. I don't I don't think I really liked her performance, to be honest. It I don't I think it was an on the page issue, but I also feel like she could have pulled it off better too. She didn't really feel like Sabine to me. And once again, that's that's a bit of the writing, a bit of the performance. It just didn't really click for me. It also doesn't help that you're making Sabine do all the worst decisions of the show, which when she gave Balin that map to find Thrawn, I thought that was an interesting choice. She let her selfishness get the better of her and she's willing to doom her galaxy just to get back to Ezra. That's an interesting decision, which she never faces a single consequence for. doesn't even seem to feel badly about and don't really know the repercussions at all that's what bothered me it wasn't the decision it was the lack of consequence for it 
you could say a consequence for her bringing Thrawn back is now that she is abandoned on the planet. Yeah, but she's not even all that upset about it. <laughs> Neither is Ahsoka. That's true, yeah. They seem weirdly chill. That's another thing they were like. They were so chill about Thrawn's just gone now to the other galaxy is going to fuck shit up. And they're just kind of like, we're going to be nomads again, but we're going to be happy about it. And it's just, okay, sure. Ahsoka should have been pissed at her. Ahsoka was, you know, of course she wanted to find Thrawn. She wanted to find Ezra. But the way Sabine handled this, Sabine basically, well, they were never really that good as a, a team to begin with, but Sabine promised her that she wasn't going to let her selfishness get the better of her. She did, which led to both of them being stranded a galaxy away from home, Ezra and Thrawn both getting back, which, Hey, I'm sure they're happy. Ezra got back. But if I was Ahsoka, I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. The, the fact that there wasn't even a conversation about it was, I don't know. It, it just a missed opportunity for me. Oh, they, oh, they did have a conversation. But it was a it was a blink and you'll miss it. It was a so that happened. Yeah, it's all right. Okay, that's not a conversation. <laughs> that's that's basic. That's two wor- <laughs> That's two sentences. <laughs> the closest thing to nearly a consequence that I liked was when Sabine was ashamed enough of what she did that she didn't really want to tell Ezra. It's like, oh, so what, how did you guys get here? Eh, let's not, let's not talk about it. Let's just enjoy the reunion. Yeah, but she played it off more as like her being, not her being embarrassed, but just her avoiding it. And just be like, ah, it's something I'll deal with later. It's like, I'll do my laundry next week. That's how I felt like she dealt with it. Ezra should have been pissed too. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> I, I did see people, this isn't necessarily my my take entirely. I just see people talk about it, but I think people make good points when they say Ezra sacrificed. Well, he was willing to sacrifice his life to get Thrawn there. He's been away from his friends for so many years, had to live with these turtle people, had to be hunted on this planet. And then Sabine just comes and frees Thrawn from his prison and traps herself there. So if I was him, I'd be like, well, I I sacrificed myself to, for all of you guys. And you just, let him get back there and now you're stuck there too so like my friends are in danger and the galaxy's in danger and so my last six years here were for nothing yeah it's uh yeah he should he's too chill he's too he's too much like a monk on this fucking planet where he's just kind of chilling I mean, their first, his first fight live action, he's like, no, the Force is my ally. Bitch, they have fucking guns. Like, take the goddamn, like, take what you know, and then take, and I know it's all a thing so he can build his lightsaber later. That kind of looks like Kanan's, and it's like, oh, it's a nice callback. Although when he lit it up, I don't know why the blue looked weird to me. It's just weird seeing, I don't know, it looked a little skinny. But maybe that's just how lightsabers are now. But it's just he's a rebels reference. Yeah, he's just way too. Lightsabers are super skinny in that show. Yeah, he is. I don't know. I've never liked Ezra. I never liked him in animation. Here he was fine. He was he was more chilled. He was more laid back. He wasn't as annoying because he wasn't a teenager. The hilarious thing to me is that to me Ezra and Sabine switch places. 
I really liked Sabine on the show and I thought Ezra was super annoying. And now in live action, Sabine's super annoying and Ezra's cool. Yeah, it's 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 so random. It's random how that happens. Um yeah, that was the one thing I was worried about going into the show is how Ezra is going to be betrayed. But uh he did the the actor, which I don't have the name of, you probably do. Iman is funny. Yeah, he did a great job. I think he did amazing of a more older Ezra version. Um he still got that personality though. He still got that positive attitude. Um it's good that spoilers, well, I won't get into it, but it's it's good as certain characters not there in this timeline so that he doesn't shout his name every fucking five seconds. Like he does in animation. Kanan! Oh, yeah. I liked uh, the acknowledgments of Kanan, though. Yeah. Those were nice. I was wondering if they were going to do, like, a forced ghost, like a live-action Freddy Prince Jr. in, like, cosplay, but that would have been too much. Justin pointed out how she thinks that he thinks that Sabine saw a force ghost of Kanan uh, at the very end there when they were uh, when Ahsoka saw Anakin at the very end in the very right. last scene. He he could swear that he heard Kanan's theme just before that when Sabine was like, what what is I seeing there? So that was a little clue that uh, maybe she saw him. Maybe. I don't know. But that does make sense because Kanan wouldn't have had the training from Yoda. It doesn't matter. Disney does their own thing. They don't even follow their own canon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, she didn't really know what she was seeing, so she either can't tune into the Force that well still, or Kanan just can't manifest that well, which I, I probably a bit of both. But maybe Ahsoka clearly saw Anakin. She, she still knows what yeah that looks like. She's he she's still probably just getting attuned to the Force. Um. It's going to be so interesting how, because they're stuck there. They're stuck on that planet, which, uh, to be fair, I'm so glad they didn't do what I dumb, like, theorized, where it's like they go to a different galaxy and it's Earth. I was so afraid they were going to do that. And when I told that to Justin, he had a mini freak out because like, oh, no, that's what they're going to do. It's like, they're not going to do that. It's Dave Filoni. He's smarter than that. And he was smarter than that. But the design of that planet, of the whale carcasses, basically being the ring, like a reign of Saturn. Um, I think that's, first of all, disgusting, and <laughs> but a great choice because that's where those whales go to die uh, after they've lived their life. They go there, they migrate there, and they go to die. Um, but then it was just kind of, it had the, like, the Kenobi effect at the, with Kenobi and Vader's final fight where it just kind of lacks color. Lacks, and it is like the home world of the Dathomirian witches, which does make sense canonically. But, um, yeah, it was like it was an okay planet. It just kind of looked like a desert you would see out in Arizona or something. I don't know. You nearly had me panic too when getting that idea in my brain that it might be the main galaxy or our galaxy. When we got to that planet and I saw those rings around, I'm like, oh my lord, it's Saturn. I'm so angry right now. They're saying Saturn is the bones of space whales. <laughs> it wasn't, thankfully. Well, I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't Saturn because Saturn's not blue. So I was like, phew. Thank God. It was just my gut reaction. I saw the rings and got angry. But the planet itself, I thought, looked really good. I love the production design in this show in general, 
the statues on the planet, the uh, I, I heard that some people saw Easter eggs and some of the writing on the stuff that was like the Zepho from uh, Jedi Fallen Order. There's some ancient writing in there. The the Dathomiri witches, their magic, their temples, the uh, the spaceships as well, the, the ruins they go to on multiple planets, not just the main one. They end up in the other galaxy. The ones that kind of look like cherry blossom trees too, that bit, the world between worlds. Uh, just all the, the new Republic boardroom, even just all the production design was gorgeous on this show. I mean, I know a lot of it was the volume, but they're distinct areas and everyone's got its own personality feels lived in. I think they did a very good job with that aspect of the show. Yeah. The production design as always is top notch. I mean, it's a Disney budget, so they spare no expense. It's it's well crafted with everything. Even some of the space fights. I think I saw uh, behind the scenes where they they went back to basics. They do the practical miniatures in space and film it that way, but with modern technology, so everything looks crisp and real because it is. Costume design was great too. That as well. Yeah, Ahsoka the White. Thought everyone looks everyone <laughs> everyone nicknamed her. Yeah, when she makes Ahsoka that transition. Great to Ahsoka the White, and she becomes more of her actual self. You really see that in both the performance and the costume design. It really helps just brighten up uh, who Ahsoka really is. So that's great. Um, Yeah, that's the... Actually, I will say the one great transition from animation to live action has been the costume design. I think that was seamlessly done. Definitely. Yeah, they, they really pulled that off well. I thought one of my favorite costumes in the show was Morgan Elsbeth's. I just really like her, like red robes. Oh yeah, they look they look really cool. Yeah, and the Night Sisters as well. They look fantastic in live action. Mm, they look good. I thought that would look super goofy. Thrawn looked good. I think Thrawn looked good too. Thrawn looked good for sure. It was a little. It was weird to see Lars Mikkelsen in in live action. Just little shorting out of my brain, like this voice on this guy. I uh, weird but cool. Yeah. The makeup, they did their best with the makeup because Thrawn in the animation has such a weird angular head. But you can tell with the makeup, they tried to sharpen his cheekbones as much as possible. But Lars is a bit of an older man, so he uh, doesn't have that type of jawline as Thrawn does in animation. But I think, yeah, his performance did very, was well done. I will say, though, I don't think he was given justice in this show, especially in the finale. I think he was too focused on, or the Ryan was too focused on him, like, taking off, that he wasn't really given a moment to really show why people love Thrawn. And what I mean by that is, what he does is kind of basic. There's nothing, there's, like, no grand plan of his, there's no way to show off how intelligent he is. I mean, he basically, they are undead troopers, they're night troopers. They can be brought back from the dead, but he spends time and effort to slow down Ahsoka and uh, Sabine and Ezra from getting to them uh, as they're taking off, which, you know, is fine. But th- that's all he really does. And to me, it's like Thrawn would do so much more to, like, capture, you know, he had he fully had Sabine. Why the fuck would he want her to go out and find Ezra? 
I mean, yes, he was like, well, if he find if she finds Ezra or doesn't find her, it will distract her from what we're really doing. And if it does find Ezra, we'll just take them both out. But then he just sends like two squadrons over. I mean, he does send over Shin and Balin to do it, but I, I, I don't know. To me, he just wasn't really given enough time to show who Thrawn really is. I thought his plans were a little wishy-washy. He's like, oh, we'll send Sabine out to see if she can find Ezra. And if she does, well, I guess we can take them all out or not. I don't really care. I'm just trying to distract them until I got off this planet. Not really invested in killing them, which I think is technically interesting. They just didn't hammer that point home very much that he doesn't really care what happens to them. He just seemed yeah. a little surprised they got as far as they did in the end. And that started making him sweat. Oh, maybe I should have done more. But that makes him look a little dumb, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's what I mean. And when he found out who Ahsoka was, the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker, he should have been way more nervous than what he was. I mean, it's Thrawn, so he's got some arrogance to him. But, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think he was given enough time to shine. I thought that his performance was amazing. But, yeah, I don't know. The, the ending One of my favorite- was really rushed for me. One of my favorite Thrawn moments in was when he meets Sabine for the first time and he greets her like, ah, oh, Sabine Wren, like my old adversary. It's good to see you again. And I like how he gives that kind of welcome to Sabine and not Morgan Elsbeth, who lifted heaven and earth to make this ship to get him back home. And he basically just said, he basically is just berating her the whole time. Like, oh, you let a Jedi go? You underestimated your opponent? What's wrong with you? He's basically just, he's just giving her crap the whole time. And he treats Sabine like, hey, my adversary, how you doing? I I like his priorities that way. It's nice to see a familiar face. (laughs) Yeah, but who cares about my right hand? Yeah. And to, yeah, to be fair, yeah. Morgan did deserve it though sometimes um I, th- I just I just love how disappointed Morgan looked after all that and like oh I'm trying so hard for you and you're 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 not giving me the praise I want and I that's why in the end she's more for Dathomir than for Thrawn because she saw the guy that she worked so hard to try and save and realized he wasn't really worth it right I do love though in the finale as as much shit talking i've been giving it is the sort of backstory on how dathomir and witches become full potential they it's like their own ritual they get it morgan's eyes turn that solid black the tattoos appear on her face her skin fades a little bit um too bad she's dead now (laughs) so what a waste (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I th- yeah, I was fine with Ahsoka killing her, just like right off. It's like, yeah, just time to, instead of capturing the enemy, just let's kill him now. I mean, I captured her before, she escaped, and she brought Thrawn back, so who, what, who knows what other damage she could do. Yeah, I guess she had to beat her in that rematch again. Well, she let her live the first time, and then she broke out of prison to start the show, so... It's the old Darth Sidious. He's too dangerous to be left alive. Kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Probably killed her off because like, hey, the main villain we need to deal with is Thrawn. 
not Morgan. <laughs> and if Ahsoka loses another fight in this show, they'd probably be like, fuck, she hasn't won a fight in a while. Oh, yeah, she got her ass kicked by everybody. Well, I mean, she beat Marok, she beat Morgan, but, like, Anakin and Balin kicked her ass yeah. multiple times. Speaking of Balin, the two best characters to come out in this show is both Balin and Shin. And the way these two Incredible. are written... And that's why I think the finale lacks in an actual, like, uh, what a great finale is because they're not in it. They're barely, they're in it for one scene each and they're not even together. I heard a theory about why that is unconfirmed though. Go on. Some people say that in the event Ahsoka got a season two. They knew Ray Stevenson, unfortunately, passed away a long time beforehand. Yes, rest in peace to Ray Stevenson. Yes. So, some people think they left a lot of his scenes for this ending on the cutting room floor on the chance they get a season two, just so they'll have something to show for him next year. Hmm. And I'm inclined to nearly believe that, because it feels nearly more likely to me than them just him disappearing for the entire finale to show up for one vague scene at the end. What is even that about? I, I, for the sake of the writers of this show, I really hope that there's stuff of his, they cut out and left out because otherwise, what were you even doing? Right? Yeah, but it can't be that much stuff that they cut out for an entire new season or for a few new scenes. You know what I mean? Because of the way the story's going, I mean, the last we see of Balin, he's looking at, from a distance, this ancient temple that he's clearly going to. I very much doubt that they filmed all of that, or they filmed, they probably filmed him talking about it, and then they put that on the cutting room floor. But it's just probably another Carrie Fisher scenario where they'll have to, if they do do that, they'll just take scenes from different takes and then jumble that together. And we all know how well that worked out. So it is such a shame. I, I want to put this point, make this point um, very, very well that it's such a shame that Ray Stevenson died right before the show started because the amount of praise he is getting for his performance is ungodly. The fact how he's much he's one of the best star Wars characters of all time. I think. Yeah. One of the best. Very instantly. Very stoic. Very. His. Yeah. His philosophy. Like just the character's philosophy on the Jedi and the Empire. He's got his own code. But the performance. I mean there's so much subtlety to it. He was. When when Shin asked him. Do you miss the Council? Do you miss the Republic at all? And he has this moment of contemplation. Where he's like. Yeah I miss the idea of it where he's letting down the guard a bit but then he immediately picks right back up to but that you know it's that's gone now that's in the past it, it's he's done so so well and i feel so bad that he for him and his family that he passed right before he got all this praise because he would be fucking swarmed he'd be being he would have loved it and you know rest in peace to ray stevenson i hope he's i hope there's disney plus in the afterlife but other than that, um, it's a real shame. It's kind of like a Keith Ledger Joker scenario, but for Star Wars the fans, it's really sad. But. Died, died before your best performance could be seen on mass, or know how much you were loved. Yeah, he's 
I don't think I've ever seen Ray Stevenson in anything that I consciously realized. Maybe he was a supporting actor on something. I have no idea. But I don't think it's so rare for me that I ever see a performance like this where every single line delivery was as good as you could possibly deliver that line. I don't understand how it's possible. Every single time he spoke, I was captivated. Even when he was just saying mundane stuff, I'm like, wow, this sounds like the most interesting stuff you could be saying right now. Right? Like whenever he speaks, you pay attention to it like wholeheartedly. And the words gravitas. Yeah. The man just oozed gravitas in this role. He's so good. I I would put him up for an Emmy nomination. (laughs) He he did amazing. And his fighting was really good and how it's, how his fighting style is more tailored to a medieval knight where he's got the two hands on the sword and he's doing these massive heavy swings and he's not trying to do any stabbing. He's really trying to cut down people. And his fight with Ahsoka is so well done and just showing the prowess of um, how powerful Balin is. And um, it's a shame that that he's passed on. I mean... I have seen some recast suggestions. There's the Leaf Schrider who looks very similar to Balin, but I don't know. Do you just leave him or do you have to bring it? Because here's the thing. Balin's such a great character, but now he's so tailored. The The identity of Balin is so tailored to Ray Stevenson that do you bring him back at all? or Because his story is clearly not done. So... Whoever takes on that recasting role is going to have some uh, some huge, mungus shoes to fill. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Balin, he interested me very early on in the show. Like, basically right away when... Well, I don't remember what if this was the first episode or the second episode, but when he's talking to Morgan Elsbeth and she orders him to kill Ahsoka, and he just kind of gets that look in his eye, like, like what are you, uh, your old loyalties poking out? He said, it would just be a shame to kill a Jedi. Yeah, he's, there's only so Just few. the idea that, yeah, just the idea that this guy was once a Jedi, but he still feels guilty about having to hunt down Jedi. That one line was, oh, this character is super nuanced already. I And your line delivery and just your general demeanor, I'm extremely interested in everything you're doing right now. And he only got more interesting from there, hearing his philosophies about trying to break the cycle between the Jedi and the Sith. He's something different. I don't know what Balin is, but... Oh, and the idea that he's training Shin to be something more than a Jedi, more than a Sith. Yeah. Though she still seems consumed about wanting power. She's a little more on the Sith side, but I guess he was trying to train that out of her. Yeah. Shin's performance is well done as well. And she's taking more... (laughs) It was so funny. It's like, what's the difference between Shin and Reva? Well, Shin doesn't get in the way of the story. That's that was the one thing I saw. Uh, her fighting is excellent. 
She does an amazing job. I love her intense stare. She's got that intense stare. She does so she did so well in this show, her performance, that the Star Wars official TikTok account made its own thirst trap of her. It is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life that the fact the official like TikTok page did that because usually the fan edit would do it, but the fact that they made it very odd. Um, the the fan base name for her is Shin Hadi. The character Shin Shin Hadi, yep. but Shin Hadi. It works. Yeah, I, there's so there's so Ivana, much. It, how do you pronounce your name? I, Ivana Sokno. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, but she was fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. In this role. Yeah. And to me, the difference between what she did, if people compare her to Reva because they're the young upstart power hungry. To me, the difference is Reva talked a big game about being badass and she so desperately wanted to be badass, but Shin was just badass. Exactly. And she didn't have to she didn't have to prove anything to anybody. To me, the big difference is that Shin was a mostly silent character she never spoke she never talked to big game she just proved herself she just she, she just fought and was awesome and that was it whereas reva her whole thing was talking a big game and then getting her ass kicked which wasn't really that relatable or interesting it just made her look weak but uh she got fucked up yeah, by it, uncle owen and aunt peru <laughs> she got fucked. She's an inquisitor. She got fucked up by farmers. Right? I just love how Shin beat uh what's her name? Sabine, Sabine. basically every time. <laughs> and it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I loved how the how Dave did it where yeah, Sabine might be getting more skilled with it, but she still can't beat Shin. And I think that's going to carry over in season two or the movie or whatever because they're all four of them are on the planet still so it's going to be very interesting to see i want to see it now that's it's one of those things where it's like they've left so much on the table where uh i need to see more like i i need to see it um that's my problem with the ending as well as like i feel like they left too much on the table um that's just it, it was just kind of like that we talked about this, how episode five was incredible. It was some of the best stars ever seen. And just please just coast, just coast the way through. And I think that's what it did. It coast, it coast and then kind of like dipped a little bit on episode eight. That's how I would say, see how the show is. Yeah. I just want to go back to Shin for a sec, but I'll finish your point there. For me, it went up, up, up to about episode five was the peak. And then it just kind of coasted down but um, Shin, one of my favorite bits of characterization was in those last couple episodes was when she had Ezra and Ahsoka and Sabine all surrounded and she uh, she ordered her troops. OK, fire. And Ezra's like, wait, 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 wait. Don't you want to don't you want to take us as prisoners? Fire. <laughs> it was yeah, multiple times ruthless. he tried to coerce her. And mm-hmm. yeah. And then I just love the subversion of usually. Oh, you wanna you wanna take us as prisoners? Yes, we'll take you as prisoners, and then you will escape later. And no, she was just kill them all right now. Don't don't hesitate. Just do it. Yeah, I also like the uh, moment where Ahsoka reaches her hand out to her when she's surrounded, and you actually see Shin contemplate it a little bit because Ahsoka's a little bit different. You, I think she just gives off the vibe of the light side. She contemplates it, but then she immediately runs off. 
she immediately runs away and then goes back to those raiders where um she's gonna lead them now i don't know that was a weird ending i can't remember why shin and balin split i think balin sent shin to kill ezra and sabine and then balin said something like i'm on my own path or like i have a my own path to follow i was like okay that's strange and then his path is just never (laughs) is never really explained is probably saved for season two it was a little contrived, but what I gathered from that was he's on this planet to do a mission, and he knows she's there to rise through the ranks and be getting good with Thrawn and get power however she can. He kind of knows where she's heading and that they're not going to the same place. It's like, you know what? Bring in the Jedi. Fulfill your ambition. I'm going my way, but, you know, good working with you. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're I don't know if he was like you're on your own now or if this is part of her training. Ugh, it's just so sad. I really wish Ray Stevenson didn't die. I want to see more of him. It's just so sad to think about it. The other thing I love about Balin is that he lives by a code. His word is his bond. Like when he promised to be oh, you know, you, you can come with us. And he just he let her and people were like. I think Morgan said, why? Well, because I told her, so. <laughs> well, I told her to. I, <laughs> you don't talk, you don't, you you hired me. I don't, I work for you, but I'm, I'm basically working with you. Like, I could kill you, Morgan, in a second. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's see, what else, what else here? Um, I thought the choreography was kind of weak. I didn't like, yeah. see, it's weird to me. It's weird to me. Cause I'm, I, I'm in the middle of where I'm usually at. Usually it's worse or better, but what I liked this time, the camera work was good. The choreography was not. And it's usually the opposite. I find. Yeah. Well, it's al- that- I always whine about how I can't, the choreography is great, but I can't see crap happening. This is the opposite. You showed me everything and I was disappointed. I think the choreography in some of the fights is excellent and some of them is poor. I think the final fight between Morgan and Ahsoka is not great, but the fight with Balin and Ahsoka is fantastic. The first fight with Shin and Sabine is exceptional. Um, and then anytime hating Christensen holds a lightsaber is, is electric. Is electric, yeah. And that just varies on from person to person and actor to actor. That's the thing. That's the takeaway you get from it. I mean, if you'd go by what most of Hollywood does, where they do more jump cutty, and the reason they do jump cutty stuff is because they don't want you to know that that's a stunt performer doing it. But if you do the jump cutty, you're not going to follow the action. And But here in Ahsoka, if you keep the camera still most of the time and you just let the choreography do the choreography, you're going to tell that it's choreography. So it's pros and cons to both things. I much prefer to see people just do the choreography and just to see the choreography actually shine because so much work went into that. I mean, you get you get nothing. Problem. You get nothing from jump cut stuff. You get absolutely nothing. You're like you don't remember the fights in that. You don't remember them at all. But with the choreography, you can actually see the choreography shine and what the work went into it. Is some of it a bit weaker? Yes, but not every fight can be a 10 out of 10. 
I think the problem is that a lot of the actors having to do this choreography aren't specifically trained in sword combat. Right, exactly. A lot of times with the jump cuttiness, we're throwing in stunt doubles who actually are specialized in this area and they can make it look a lot better. But because it's these long shots and everyone's actually got to be on camera, all their weaknesses as sword fighters show very noticeably. And it they can't, they can only do so much to cover that up. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, you know, that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it happens. They're not going to be as skilled. I mean, when they hire stunt performers, they hire people who do it for 10 plus years. So they can't show the mistakes, but they can't see their face. So, you know, what you could, what you could do to fix it is um, they kind of did this in Game of Thrones, but they still did the jump cuttiness. Is you just have a really far away shot, like an extremely far away shot, throwing the stunt performers. You're not going to be able to tell that it's the actors or not if you do it really far. And then have them shine, uh, have them do the choreography seamlessly. I think there's one. I can't remember what the movie it is, but it's it's two actors fighting, and then it cuts away to not an extreme long shot, but kind of like a, a medium medium shot where a character does like three flips in a row. It's clearly not the actor, but you can't tell because it's the way it's edited and the way it's choreographed is just seamless. Right. Yeah. They, they could do something like that for season two. Maybe I think there's room for improvement. Oh, for sure. There's always it's, room for improvement. I mean, not every choreographer is the best. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a lot of people who do choreography have just done fighting have just trained to fight for life. They're not necessarily, they weren't necessarily trained to do choreography for film, which is a two dimensional thing. So they can't, can't cheat the camera. Not every choreographer. I mean, people who are hired for major motion pictures definitely are, are trained, but sometimes some of them aren't. I'm not saying this choreographer did. I think what this choreographer did was fine. It's just, it takes a lot of practice to really refine the choreography from both the choreographer and the actors who are doing it as well. It just takes an obscene amount of time. And the more you do it, it's funny when I, (laughs) when I was learning choreography in school, what, how you practice it is you do it as you're throughout the day, you get better at it. And then as soon as you start to get worse, stop, stop immediately. Cause then you're going to pick up stuff. You're going to create habits that aren't great. It's because you're tired. You're not really thinking it through. But as soon as you start to get worse, just that's the end of the day. Interesting. I like that. Uh, it's a good mindset for practicing anything, probably. Yeah, that's so, actually true. <laughs> another element of another element of Ahsoka I thought was kind of subpar was the cinematography, and it's not necessarily the cinematographer's fault. It's the volume but, photography. Yeah, Justin and I, I complained about this to him in the first couple episodes, and he's like, well, what's your problem? And then I had this whole argument with him for an hour where we just tried to break down what my problem with the cinematography was. And this is basically what we came up with. And this isn't an argument I hear commonly, so could be interesting. Um, so pr- problem is, in traditional cinema, you're dealing with light and darkness in a different way than you are in with the volume. 
in basically every production that's ever been made before the volume, you're working in a closed studio. The studio is dark and you got to put intentional lighting around to create a balance of lights and shadows and whatever you want it to look like. The volume is the exact opposite problem. You're working in a room of light and now cinematographers have to create shadows especially but nobody's thinking about that yet so everything just looks flat light it's it's all it all just looks like flat light there's no style to it there's no there's no stylistic use of light and shadows on volume productions granted with ahsoka they finally found a way to make it not look like muddy garbage it actually looks really good i think this is the best the volume has ever looked but i miss that traditional cinematic component where you're playing with shadows across your faces and and in the backgrounds and it creates tension it creates a unique visual style it's just in a visual medium the balance between light and dark is very important well hell in star wars metaphorically as well but it's basically all well lit all flat all the time everybody and everything in frame is just the same there's no pulling of focus so i think that's the thing they that's the next upgrade for the volume is they need to figure out how to use shadows again to yeah that, that'll draw it even further i hear what you're saying there's only so much they can do with like screen technology though in terms of brightness because you can never emulate or you know, <laughs> do the exact same type of brightness as the sun. The sun's brightness on like a crisp, like a no clouds day is the brightest fucking thing we have in our uh, solar system. So to try to emulate that with Earth technology is impossible. It's not going to happen. And that's where you get those really crisp shadows, uh, crisp shadows in Hollywood. And you play with that more. And when you try to emulate that on the volume everything is the exact same level of brightness that's what it is and i don't know how they could really fix that besides putting just putting a simple light maybe behind the camera operator um and just giving an actual harsh light on some of the actors because i agree with you um the lighting for most volume stuff is just the same flat you know Everyone is lit the exact same way, which doesn't really add to the cinem- cinematic scale of it. But it's also a TV show, so it's strange. Well, see, that's why. And then also, well, I was the camera work is basic as well. It's pretty basic. Yeah, I suppose that's true as well. I didn't really think about the camera, but it is basic. Too. Yeah, when you're saying I cinematography, at- to me, that means more of like the camera work instead of the lighting team. I think more cinematography is visual aesthetic and um what the frame actually looks like to me camera work is entirely different department but either way they're both they both need work um at the lucasfilm division right now uh probably because they're still playing around with the volume what i notice is you look at something like the early seasons of the mandalorian and they're really good at playing with their use of light and shadows but They're also trying to do this weird in-between of traditional filmmaking. The volume bits look like garbage in those early episodes, but the light and shadows look more traditional 
So in many ways they hold up worse, in some ways they hold up better. And now they're just adopting this flat look, which generally looks good, but it doesn't look great. It's just, okay, the technology works and it, and it holds up okay, but you're not really doing anything spectacular with it now. You're just, you just got it to the baseline where it finally looks decent um, consistently. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it's just, I, it's also, it's on the director as well. I mean, I feel like most are, it's the same thing like you brought up earlier with uh, George Lucas. He's much more of a visual director than he is an acting director. And I feel like with Dave and some of these other directors on the show, because it wasn't just him, we're more focused on the story and the acting rather than uh, the visual of it. Because they're like, hey, the, we got the visuals down. I mean, we're Lucasfilm and we're Disney, so we got it down. So I don't think they're trying to really innovate more in terms of the technology during the production. But they could just add, like, go crazy with the lighting. Go crazy with the lighting. Go crazy with the camera work. Add some swooping shots if you want. Stop giving me these standstill medium shots of the fucking... Like what people look like in basic headshots. Like I'm getting sick of it. <laughs> like get fancy with the camera work. Yeah, makes sense to me. I will say uh, so... something that's been phenomenal in the post-production is the music. The music in this show was Kevin phenomenal. Yeah, just the outro music, but just the music throughout the different scenes. I mean, the fight with Hayden... The uh, Ahsoka and um, Ahsoka in the whale or just like waiting for the whale and the music swelling, the fight scenes with Balin. And it's all like original music, too, or most of it's original and maybe some stuff is sampled, but it's so well done. It's it's a great soundtrack. You know, you know why, though? And I didn't realize this right away because I don't I obviously didn't do enough research until after the fact, I didn't realize Kevin Kiner was the guy who wrote the music for Rebels and the Clone Wars and Bad Batch too. Ah, uh, there it is. So, so when you're playing Ahsoka's themes or Hera or Sabine or Ezra or anybody from the Rebels crew or anybody who originated in animation, he wrote the themes for all those characters within the last 15 years. And now this is his time to, well, make new stuff as well, but he's blending all his old works together as well. So it's no wonder all the character themes are interwoven so seamlessly. He's the guy who wrote them all. This is just his magnum opus in terms of the last 15 years and all these characters whose musical files he's helped define. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I need, I need to bring up the music because it was absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> Oh yeah, consistently amazing. I've been listening to a little bit of the soundtrack, and it's uh, it's great stuff. What I like about it is that it hits all the emotional beats of the scene in a way that just listening to it, I get those emotions brought back up again. I'm like, oh well, oh this part sounds a little suspicious. So oh, this sounds ominous, but a little hesitant. No, oh, and now they're now they're a little more confident, and it makes me remember. Oh, what what was the context for this? Oh, and then it comes back to mind. So the music, just listening to that, makes me remember the scenes it was in. Yeah. It. Um, yeah, the great I think context you, clues for what's going on in the scene. Personally, the music carried this show. I don't think I would have cared about nearly anything as much 
without yeah. Kevin Kiner's score in the background. Music is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Music can make or break a show real fast. I think Bear McQuarrie did his best to save the Lord of the Rings show, Rings of Power, because he went all out. I mean, he's the guy who did the modern uh, God of War games. But uh, it didn't save it. But it he really tried. Um, so it gave me some points for that. But yeah, music can make or break a show or movie. It's 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 insane how much power music has over it, over uh, an entire uh, production. Well, yeah, because music, it's really that's what's driving the tone. Right. You can look at the actors, but unless actors are really hamming it up, they're probably playing emotional subtext more than anything. So actors are being a little subtle. They're saying their lines and dialogue can be riveting. Action can be riveting, but especially in scenes where there's no dialogue, music is the cue telling you how to feel here or it's enhancing what you already feel. Just something about combinations of notes draws out emotion in us. Music is just a very effective tool in general, whether it's standalone or part of the show. Well, see, the thing about music is in a good composition for a show can stand alone without the show, but the show probably can't stand alone without the music. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I, uh, I I completely agree with with what you said. Just it's it's again it's it's like the final piece. It's the other uh medium that you're using. It's movies and TV shows are a visual and an audio uh learning experience, and they both need to work together in order to create something whole and really because you could just listen to the music by itself and still be like stunned by it but you can't watch a movie or a show without music because you'll really notice it you'll you'll notice how quiet things are uh especially during even in the days of silent even in the days of silent films before sync sound you still had live orchestras yeah. playing with pre-sync sheet music because even back in the tens they knew it was boring to watch movies without audio entirely yeah and you can you just you really can tell i mean even with shows I'm not talking about Ahsoka, that they do require quiet moments and they um, or require not music a lot of the time for just basic scenes. They'll still do transition scenes or like travel scenes or whatever, and then there'll be music in the background, whether it's an actual song or a score of itself, because you just need that. You kind of need a break from people just talking nonstop, because if you don't have that, you're just going to lose people's interest. Yeah, I uh, I also think in those silent moments, the absence of music is also just as telling as when it's blaring in your ear. Very much so. Good, good composers got to know when to shut up and just let the scene speak for itself as well. That's a silence is just as big a part of music as the actual notes. Dun dun dun. <laughs> We're at a dinner table, bro. Jeez. You're muted. 
Sorry, we're doing tests. We're doing a new thing on the show. Still trying to figure it out. I'm just trying to figure out my audio here. Yeah, you're on. You're on now. Did you miss the last thing I said? Yes. Oh, I just said, um, oh yeah, the dun dun dun. Is that making it corny? Is it making it worse? Do we, do we want to do this? Uh, probably not. Ah, we already paid for it. Fuck it. Throw it in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm just about done talking about this, but, um, I think I'm pretty much done. I think, um, uh, I want to mention David Tennant is Huyang though. So good. He's incredible. David Tennant's amazing. Consistently amazing. I'm glad the uh, trial for Hera was not as dumb as I was going to predict it to be. It was only one dumb senator. Because so much of the time with weaker bullshit writers, they like to just shit on the main characters so much and then just make everybody else look like an idiot. And yes, you can have idiot characters, but when everybody's an idiot collectively... It just shows, like, weakness to me. And I'm glad it was just one dumb senator. And even the other senators were like, well, can we hear her out? No, she defied orders. It's like, yeah, she defied orders because they're an active fucking imperialist walking around. You idiot. And you're ignoring them because you're so afraid of war happening again. But you're just actively ignoring it and being ignorant. Now, I could understand that guy's perspective, actually, because from his perspective here, the people she was fighting against, they weren't stormtroopers. They weren't wearing imperial clothes. It's just a random witch, a couple of mercenaries who use the force. And like they have some imperial ties, but there's no active proof of imperial incursions happening. And then Hera sends out, she takes, she goes against orders, takes a couple pilots and gets them killed for her own personal vendetta against Thrawn and maybe to save Ezra. So she just, she just kind of looks bad in general. I don't blame this yeah, guy but for he, being a little he bit. He actively says that the Jedi were made up, that they were a fantasy. And it's like, you know who, you know who Luke Skywalker is, right? Like, you know who Ahsoka is. Like, they're not fantasies, buddy. Just because you didn't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. Oh yeah, that that's the other thing I am a little annoyed with with the show is that I know it's because, well, just because time has moved on, but it just feels so strange to me that Han, Luke, and Leia are nowhere to be found in this era with such a grand threat on the horizon. I like that they at least name drop Leia and said, oh, she's busy building up the resistance or whatever, so 3PO will be her envoy. Fantastic cameo. Love seeing Anthony Daniels in that. Uh, Really great to see him. But... To have no mention of Luke Skywalker whatsoever. Like, well, what are you like? What is he even doing in this era? And it's worse that they brought him back in this era already. Well, to me, fake Luke Skywalker. I think it's it's because Luke is. I mean, he was. You know, he went on a mission to save Grogu, but I think he is right now in the midst of collecting all the other Jedi and trying to train them. Depending on how the timeline is has all reached together. It's 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 weird. And Han's yeah, just Han's always fucking around. He's probably with Kanja Club. Maybe. I mean, I know they're all doing their thing, but just to not even Ahsoka doesn't even ask him for help or anything. She's just, oh, I'm gonna do 
on Thrawn all alone. I'm not going to go after the only other Jedi who's doing things right now. Uh, oh, yeah. And speaking of Luke, I I brought this up to a couple people and it make, makes them laugh. But I um, so when Ahsoka, Sabine, Ezra and Hu Yang were all in the other galaxy, I'm like, so in the, they're in another galaxy where Jedi don't exist and Ahsoka's already got a better Jedi order going than Luke in the main universe. Wow. He can't even get one apprentice to stay with him and she's got two two Jedi apprentices here and the droid who's built all the lightsabers for 25,000 years. She's doing okay. That's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just my take. Yeah. I think like closing thoughts in this in terms of all the Disney plus shows, like the originals or whatever, I would probably put this second right below Andor, and then above Kenobi. Yeah. That's my list. Boba Fett, Mando, Kenobi. Just because I love Kenobi so much. Like, the good outweighs the bad for me in that. And then Ahsoka, uh, Andor, of course, because Andor is fucking amazing. I probably rank the exact same, to be honest. Uh, Yeah, Kenobi, the best parts about that show I love. I still want to see that movie length cut because I'm sure that's, that's a great story there i just didn't think it needed to be that long boba fett's got a lot of problems mandalorian i was never that big a fan of but it, uh, i still like it better than boba fett um and uh i think andor is far and away the best star wars show by by a mile but what i'll say about ahsoka is this if you're if you're a casual star wars fan and who gives a damn Really, I'm just watching it for something to watch. I think Ahsoka's worth a watch. It's fine, but it'll probably make no sense to you. It's fantastic Star Wars, though. If you're a big Star Wars fan, if you've watched all the cartoons, if you're invested in all these stories, it feels like really great Star Wars. Uh, it's it's not the best written show out there. No. It's not <laughs> the best production values. Like, There's a lot wrong with it, and this is why I don't recommend it to casuals necessarily. But for Star Wars fans who are looking for payoffs, I enjoyed myself a lot. And if we're comparing to Andor, I think it feels a lot more like Star Wars than Andor does. Andor's got the right politics, but it's, well, because it's so political and grounded, it turned it turned off a lot of Star Wars fans who like the more fanta- fantasy elements. Ahsoka's got that. This is Jedi and Sith and Force powers. This is... We're going to travel to another galaxy on the backs of space whales and then fight zombies with that witches brought back to life. It got weird, and that's great. I love that. Yeah, I loved how weird but, it got. Uh, yeah, so it's different kinds of Star Wars for different fans, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who prefer this brand of Star Wars to Andor's, but critically speaking, Andor's far and away better. 100%. It's not even like a better Star Wars show. It's just a better show in general. Yeah. But Ahsoka's good for Star Wars. Exactly. Not that that's yeah. a high not that that's a high bar to clear nowadays, but I well it's I, <laughs> I enjoy it. So true. Alrighty. Well yeah. should we close out? Uh yep, I'm done. Alrighty. Well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. And you can find me on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Thought Play Media. 
Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where Ryan and I go over our quarterly leisure list for October 2023. Till next time. Take care.